Welcome to Tigers SRD with two hosts who always start on second, Chris Brown, never-ending parade of mediocrity, and Roger Castillo. Oh, Roger, live in Detroit. Welcome to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com and the Overtime Media Network. I'm Rogelio Castillo alongside Ms. Chris Brown. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Art Media, and Stichler. And you can check out our last two episodes where we had Eno Saris from The Athletic. That was one of our, in terms of an episode that I, honestly, Chris, I didn't really, it was kind of an unpredictable kind of thing where in a sense of like, I didn't know where it was going to be going. Mm-hmm. Ended up being an, an hour conversation. So that was, uh, that was really good. Uh, Shakia Taylor, who joined us to talk about low-end theory, that was one of our uh, better episodes as well. So check them out. If you go find us on iTunes, you can find those last couple episodes. So if you had not had a chance to rate or review us, please let it do so. And before we get to the show tonight, I want to give a shout out to Matt, who is our, our listener over in San Francisco, who was sick. He had COVID. And he's feeling better. And just want to give him a get, so, get well wishes. And I'm glad that you're here and you're better. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, it's a bummer for anybody, obviously. So it's good to good to know that he's on the mend. Yes. And Matt's, Matt's a good guy. And he's been a guy who's been listening for quite a long time. He's always reaching out. He's always he reached out to me after before my my father passed away so i'm a, I'm a big yeah. fan of the dude and so shout out to him i'm glad he's feeling better to uh, drunken grass this is drunken grass yes and one of the best green just in terms of like i i would want to get an explanation on his name sometime and i'm sure he will he would give us one so i think he did a while back but yeah i don't run there's some tigers news yeah oddly enough the contact gods as i like to say <laughs> I, like i'm not being hopefully for anybody who's religious it's not a slight of religion comment or anything but mm-hmm. content gods have provided us Right, this is like this is like the fifth time in the last what two months or so that the day we're going to record something happens tiger related. Is that right? Seems about right. Yeah, it seems like there's always a, a one, one or two uh, interesting. You know, if it's Tony La Russa signing with the White Sox, meeting that Hinch is coming here, or or these signings. So yeah, it's uh, I don't know. And, and obviously they're not earth shattering signings, but it is the Tigers doing something which we've kind of were asking for all year. And and you know, at the end of the the winter. They've ended up adding what five or six guys. Yeah, That's probably more than last year actually. So, I guess we they, can't complain too much. They're just <laughs> nothing, like we said, nothing earth uh, earth shattering. You know, look, and the, the to me, <laughs> there was there was a tweet that uh, Jason Beck retweeted that I really like. It's from Mike St. Clair. Quote: All these signings tonight are like final season, and everyone descended on the same stack of books at the library. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, it, to me, it feels like it feels like like there's just all these free agents who are just trapped underwater, and teams are just waiting. You know, they're down there holding their breath, and teams are just waiting outside the pool. Like, yeah, when he pops up, we'll grab him. <laughs> and uh, you know, some Mazar goes, "I'll take one point seven. Like, you got it, buddy. <laughs> you you agree? Wait, 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 no. Oh man, no. All, all jokes aside, yeah, no. Yeah, it was a. Here's the the Tigers. We're interested in him last winter. I wrote, I projected him to be in the right, all of us. I mean, in terms of even you, I know that John, our staff, the Motor City Bengals said something along the line. Kellen said something as well. But, I mean, I honestly, for $1.75 million, that's a bargain. And Marzo also gives the Tigers a veteran outfielder out there. And it was, to me, one of those signings that I, it actually caught me off guard because I honestly thought the Tigers were going to be done. The outfield, although they did, there was speculation that they were going to sign another veteran outfielder. But you know, this is a guy who I 
projected because the Tigers have shown a lot of interest in him before. And he also has a history, another example with a history with the hitting coach in in Scott uh, Kubal, who we work with in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Beck that pointed that out. I didn't think about yes, that, but yeah. Right, but yep. Although I think he was only in Chicago for one season, right? Correct, yep. And uh, it wasn't a great season from Zara. Although you said he was sick last year or... or uh, yeah. I don't know if he, did he have COVID or if he was just... Yeah, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those weird things where he's a name. He's a name because he, he was a huge prospect. He came up when he was 20 years old. He's still 25. He doesn't turn 26 until the end of April. But he's got five full seasons in the majors now. He was awesome in his first couple months in the majors, and then he just never got any better. But it's it's one of those things where, like, yeah, I mean, he's still in his mid-20s. You hope that something can unlock at some point. He's got absolutely massive raw power. I think I, I, I tweeted out that he has the longest home run in StatCast history, which yeah, goes back right. to, what, 20, 2015. It's 505 feet. But, yeah, he just, beyond that, he... He's, he's almost like clockwork. He, you count on him for hitting about 260 with 20 home runs every year. And that doesn't provide a ton of value in terms of war because he's not a great defender and he's not a, a good base runner. But with, with that move and with Renato Nunez, you, you see basically the Tigers are just trying to get more offense. They want more home runs. It's a little bit like what they did last year with, uh, with Scope and Crone. And so now they've added Scope, Mazzara, and and. Probably Nunez. I mean, we, we, we're assuming that they're going to add him to the 40 man once they can, in spring training, once they can put Alex Fido and Joey Wentz on the 60 day DL to open up a spot. So they should have a little bit more pop this year, which is nice. And, and Robbie Grossman adds some on base percentage. So, you know, they might not be. There's a chance they could be an average offense this year, which would be, boy, would that be a joy to see after the last few years. I mean, it's not, it's not going to be something where we're going to be, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of strikeouts. And that's, it's almost becoming the norm, Chris. I mean, we talked about this before, where strikeouts, you expect, I mean, every year the strikeouts have been growing and growing, correct? I mean, in terms of even per year among the league average. Yeah, although I, I will say, I mean, Grossman is, is, is not a guy who strikes out a ton. He's below league average. And up until last year, Mazzara and, and uh, Renato Nunez were both around league average. I mean, they're striking out less than guys like uh, Nico Goodrum and Grayson Griner and, and, and guys like that. I, I think Crone struck out. I mean, he was only played like 15 games, but I thought he struck out a bunch in his little time there. It, it's uh, And they're still going to have a bunch of strikeouts, but they should walk a little bit more than they did last year. And, I forgot uh, to give him. I mean, Wilson honestly, Ramos. What's that? Was a, yeah, I was going to say, I forgot to give him his due. <laughs> sorry, go yeah, on. Wilson, sorry. Wilson Ramos doesn't strike out very often. At least he hasn't in his career. So it's it's not like an offensive juggernaut by any means, but they're – there should be some more balls in play, and there should be a few more balls going over the wall. Honestly, you know, beggars can't be choosers at this point. That's that's right. more than more than we thought we might have. I still don't know. I, I mean, when the Pocota projections came out the other day, they had the Tigers with the fifth worst record and the fewest runs scored in baseball. I don't know if this is going to change that a ton. They might be, you know, the second or third fewest runs in baseball now, <laughs> but it's progress. No, and you know what? And here's the thing about the Nunez, Nunez signing, which I like. I, I like the signing because it gives the Tigers a first baseman, be it a not a good defensive one, but it does give them some sort of semblance of first base. And I was talking to Mark Urosh earlier about this because he called me because he had a technical question. Then we started talking baseball like we always do. And the thing about Nunez is, is that he's been in Oakland, he's been in Texas, and his, this will be his fourth team. 
there was a reason why, and Baltimore is doing a lot of different things and they, and Baltimore's changed so much since Daniel Cat left. And now they're kind of becoming a, a smarter team, although Baltimore will be still sell as a weller here in the next couple of years. But to me, the, the guys they had in camp in the minor league camp, who the Tigers? Yeah. The Tigers. Adelman Rodriguez. Yes. Yeah, so Rodriguez is a guy who has a long swing, strikes out a lot. And I did see him in Dominican winter league play and Rodriguez, in terms of his double A numbers and just look at me, just look at beyond the box score. He's got a good swing, but he just, it's just too long. And, and he's, that was going to be your ex- potentially first baseman. It was kind of like kind of cringeworthy a little bit. And then yeah. you saw all the vague talk about the flexibility of the roster. And, you know, and that was where I was kind of like, well, this is, it's, it's something it, it's not, is it great? No, but the Tigers can't really beggars can't be choosers at this point. Yeah. And, uh... You know, to talk about the flexibility of the roster, I, I think you don't want Renato Nunez playing third base or the outfield. You really don't want him playing first base, but he has. So there may be instances when they jigger with the lineup and, and he's playing a different position. And, and I don't know. AJ Hans has some options this this year. And we might, you know, Mazzara may end up being a strict platoon player with, I don't know, Jacoby Jones or something. Who, who knows? I don't know. Like you said, it, it it's news. And it uh, it adds to the roster, and it makes them seem vaguely more like a major league team, which is, you know, what we can hope for now. We, we there was a whole discussion. The, the Royals went out and traded for Andrew Benintendi, who is not all that dissimilar from Nomar Mazzara in terms of has happened in their pro careers. Now, Benintendi has been a better player overall. He's a better defender, had more speed, and hit for a higher average. He, he had a couple really good WAR seasons. But both guys were really highly touted prospects who just haven't quite ever lived up to the hype. Bintendi came much closer, but but still, it's it's they're both uh, in their mid twenties and they're guys worth taking a chance on just in case something clicks. I think who was it? I think Jed pointed out with Renato Nunez that uh, he's basically the same age J.D. Martinez was when he uh, flipped the switch. Now that's like a once in a lifetime <laughs> thing. But uh, you never know. I mean, we didn't think J.D. Martinez was going to be J.D. Martinez until he became J.D. Martinez. Yeah, this is true. I mean, he got got off that toward starting Toledo. He hit 10 home runs, and then it was like, oh, okay, well, he's legit. And then in terms of what new – the Tigers were looking for power uh, against right-handed pitching, which they struggled with mightily. The Tigers were – I was looking at the splits via fan grasp because I was looking at how the, the, the vision hit against lefties, which is – constructing how the starting rotation would look because I put three lefties in there. The Tigers hit lefties very well, but righties was a different story. And you guys, lifetime, slash line, 245, 316, 440, 454 with 34 home runs. And it's got it's got almost 80 more hits than he does against right-hand pitching. So, there, I mean, an OPS plus of 102. You can't, to me, it's better than what you had in camp. And so... Now the question is, Chris, I have a question for you is, do they go and sign a veteran pitcher? Because now with the $1.75 million they sign, with, which is economically speaking, it's phenomenal. It's a good deal. Now a million-dollar question, which feels, do you go and get another veteran? Do you get a veteran starter to kind of complement the rotation? Because the rotation as it stands right now projected, look at fan graphs, look at baseball prospectus, it does not look very good. I, I think that would be the final move if they're going to add somebody else for sure. I, uh, and, and as a matter of fact, I think Ed Miller asked us a question. I don't know if we want to address that now or later, but he said, you've got one more free agent you can sign. Who do you take? And my, my answer was a starting pitcher. And I, in fact, I picked Rick Porcello. 
not and who knows i mean maybe he's holding out for a multi-year deal or whatever but like i said you know the, <laughs> those guys are running out of oxygen down at the bottom of that pool i think and uh with porcello he gives you a couple things number one he had a strangely good year last year that looked very bad i think i've talked about this on the show before he, he had a 5.64 era but it was a career best 3.33 fip you know that things can get funny in in 60 innings or whatever but he's also one of the most durable pitchers in baseball, and I think that's huge. That's something that Tigers desperately need. I looked over the last five years; he's third in innings pitched behind Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Imagine if those three guys were on the same team; that'd be crazy. Oh yeah, so, I mean, and I, I, I have not. It's not that I have anything against Rick Porcello. I don't. I think Rick Porcello would be a fine addition, and he could be looking for a multi-year deal. I just think that there's some. If you look at, for example, uh. Alex Avila going to the, the Nationals. I think there's some, to a certain extent, some ex-Tigers may not just want to come back. You know, it's not, I, mm. I, I don't like, and I'm not trying to, I don't know. This is just a pure 100% educated guess. The fact that he was pitching out on the West, East Coast where he's from, he may want us to mm. stick that neck of the woods. I'm not sure. But the reason why I like Walker over Purcell is because he's under 30 and he's just getting back from Tommy John. He's, and you always know about this, like the second year back, like, for example, like I have a little, opti- I'm a little maybe over optimistic about Michael Fulmer getting back to what he was before. But with Walker, I just, I, I don't know. I just, to me, it would be a guy who can go out there, at least give you 170, 180 innings, which is something the Tigers and I have not had recently. So, but that would be, if the answer to the question, that's who I want. Walker. Because that gives you a number one, number two starter, and you don't, really, and then that can kind of give some protection, take some pressure off Matt Boyd. Because I think Matthew Boyd is a competitor; he's a fierce guy, and I and I like his attitude. And if he has another guy up there that can really, another veteran starter that can kind of help him out, I think that will go a long way. And I, I know there's kind of a cliche about, well, do veterans really help out other play, pitchers? And I think to a certain degree they do, and they learn quite a bit. And I think Walker right now is he's been he's been drive line same thing like Matthew Boyd so I don't there's the Tigers were interested in him before I still think they they are but maybe it's just money is becoming there but I mean we're looking at February this is as a recording it's February 11th I mean he's yep. not signed yet what what the hell is going on with that and Walker's he's healthy too so what am I missing here Chris well I, I think, yeah I take we've seen pitching in general is it's been very slow to assign. This year, we haven't seen many starters, or at least, you know, that there's still starters available and lots of relievers available. And I think, yeah, I mean, I mean Walker is appealing, too. I'd be totally happy with that. Uh, but he's, he's younger than Porcello. He probably has more upside. Uh, my only concern there was just, you know, he, he did pitch a full season last year, but he missed several years before that. So you just, I don't know, the track record for, for eating innings isn't quite there. But the, the upside is better. So, yeah, someone like that, another a veteran starter. And, and you don't necessarily, at this point, you may be able to sign these guys for like one year and, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 million. Just one. And maybe the Tigers don't want to spend that. It doesn't seem like they do. But you do that, and that gives you like one where you could actually have a trade chip. You know, Walker might be a guy you want to build around more, but Porcello could be basically a mercenary, you know. You get 20 starters out of, starts out of him. He looks like a number three, number four starter. You trade him to... Any contender who, who's looking for some depth, I think that could work too. But I don't know. That's basically what I would look for. A pitcher, if they sign anybody else, we may see another one of these sort of, uh, you know, they'll bring Matt Shoemaker in on a minor league deal. And, 
give him a chance. Or we may see Erasmo Ramirez or Derek Holland, you know, creep through. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. And, I mean, Ramirez's numbers last year with the Mets weren't too bad out of the bullpen. So, honestly, if they're going to have him do a couple spot starters, he used to be a starter. He's been strictly out of the bullpen since he had arm issues, or excuse me, from coming back from injury. So, but as far as Derek Holland's concerned, I think it would be better suited for him to get out of the bullpen. That's just me. You know, I think think that's the plan. Well, good. Then, I mean, even what was it? The the headline Chris Mikowski today posted that deserves this new drop that's going to be part of our rotation and part of our segment that's going to be certainly in a couple of weeks. So, hey, listen, you didn't need to post that. Why? Why did you post it? Hmm. It's too late now to delete it. So Chris Mikowski posted his headline about nerd ball. I don't know if you saw that or not. No, I did not. <laughs> Just, oh man, let me let me let me find the the headline here. Is the the headline is simply this? Uh, it was it has something to do with the signing of Derek Collin. Don't talk to him about spin rates or nerd ball. Don't try to define him on his touchdown size ERA either. There might be more to Derek Holland than you think. Of course. <laughs> that's, yeah, a, like... <laughs> that's a BuzzFeed headline there, you know, lead if I ever heard one. Yeah. But uh... I, I mean, we like I, I like the Derek Holland signing, and I like them that mm. he was dressed up in the Michigan uniform with the full gear on and helmet. That's pretty cool. But anyways, I just thought that it'd be a good time to use that drop, which will be part of a, a segment, a segment that's going to be coming out here in a few weeks when the season begins but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to have our uh, first here on the show we've had some big writers we've had some we've had prospects but we've never had a former mlb executive is that correct chris is that my as far as i know unless unless somebody uh has a secret double life yeah unless uh (laughs) so our, our guest this evening is kevin goldstein he is a national writer of Fangraphs, but he worked in the Houston Astros front office. So, big guest. So, we got to ask him some questions and also maybe some pop culture might come up. Who knows? You're listening to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com and the Overtime Media Network. All right. Well, welcome back to Tigers SRD. We are very pleased to be joined by uh, Kevin Goldstein. He is, of course, a former writer for Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus, a former member of the Houston Astros front office for eight years. Let's see, he invented the, the, the term weird baseball, I believe. Uh, <laughs> was yeah one half of the, the best baseball podcast ever, I think, without a doubt. And uh, newly minted at, at Fangrass as a new writer. And he is, uh, he's my Archimedes Pozo. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Uh, absolutely. If you, I, I have an Archimedes Pozo story if you want it. Well, yeah, I mean, I was listening to the the podcast with uh, oh, with Steven, okay. Steven Gold. Yeah, Steven, uh, that's where I, that came from. Yeah, no, I uh, obviously a big fan of, of your work, and I really appreciate you taking your time. I know you got to be super busy with uh, you know your new gig and everything that comes with it. Yeah, no, it's been fun. It's it's been a good time, and and uh, I am super busy, uh, but also really uh, really enjoying it so far, and kind of enjoying the freedom, and and nice to have. 
some things that are not to be a part of anymore and, and, and some of the freedoms that come with it have been some been really outstanding. I'm having a great time. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, imagine it's a little bit bittersweet, but uh, I, I yeah. would say that uh, from a whole, I think baseball is better for having you back in the, the public sphere. Uh, I appreciate the Astros it. probably aren't, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you back. I, I agree on both counts. <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we always ask our first time guests about their earliest baseball memory. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about yours. It's a great question. You, you warned me this was coming and I gave it a little bit of thought and I, I don't know if I have one. I think maybe some of it came from, um, I grew up, uh, modestly, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, you know, single parent, my mom worked two jobs. Um, you know, we didn't always have a lot of money, but one thing that we always had, or, or my mom always tried to make money for was, uh, books. And, um, but she knew I was into baseball and one day she, I think she, you know, stopped at a garage sale or something. She came home with, um, this is going to, okay, this is going to date me because I'm old, but <laughs> if you're listening and you're used to baseball reference a long time ago, before the internet, there was a thing called the <laughs> baseball encyclopedia. And the baseball encyclopedia was a very thick book that was simply baseball reference printed out. It was the it's the career statistics of everyone who ever played baseball, and 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 she got me that. And my earliest memories is 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 just going through that and discovering players and 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 looking at World Series and and kind of you know almost self teaching myself to 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 be a baseball historian and getting really obsessed with it and you know my 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 mother who unfortunately passed away a few months ago um even as recently as this year I, you know I'd call her and she'd say oh, I was going through some stuff in the basement I found another pad filled with columns and numbers again and um <laughs> you know and I, I so I guess my first memory is that it, it, it was like a 73 or 74 baseball reference I think it was I guess it was 70 because Hank Aaron had 713 home runs. He had not yet broken oh, wow. the record. Yeah. Um, but that was my, like my, I think my earliest memory of baseball was just spending unconscionable amount of time with that book. <laughs> you know what? I, I think you might be the first person uh, whose memory didn't involve an actual game or, or something with their family. Yeah, uh, that's like, correct, you know, yeah. Go, which is really cool and, and, and interesting because it did kind of remind me, you know, I'm, I turned 40 this year, so... I'm not super young by any uh, means, but I remember doing stuff like that, you know, going through, for me, it was more like going through like a Beckett baseball card uh, sure. or, or, you know, I was kind of a nerd. So I would go through like the almanac. I think it, when I was like 11, I pretty much had every flag memorized of the world. It was very important for Carmen San Diego. I but, think that's uh, great. No, yeah. I remember <laughs> my mom had these book called the people's almanac that I would flip through all the time. I still love reference books to this day. Yeah, I mean, we had we paid however many thousands of dollars, what it what was to get an encyclopedia. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, oh, never had that. You're fancy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Uh, but uh, no, so yeah, that's that's a really cool. I appreciate you sharing that story. We, uh, you know, I, I I was thinking about, uh, you know, we have you on here. This is the first time we've had a a former front office person, and there's so much to talk about with the Astros. Uh, I feel like they were kind of the center of the baseball universe over the last decade, just with everything from for good from, and for bad yeah yeah from like chris correa to to just you know it became sort of the, the forefront of i at least uh associate the astros with being kind of the first to to recognize the value of high spin and you know throwing fastballs up in the zone and later things like scouting at the low low minors uh, and we can talk about that a little bit later but then also you know of course everything that came later with the trash cans and the brendan Tubman and, and everything mm -hmm. uh, but, but of course you won the world series in the middle that's uh 
uh, obviously very good. But but this is us to say that I don't think we need to talk about much of that tonight because okay. we've already. You, yeah. Well, I mean, we I mean, don't have want... to. Just so you know, like you know, it's, yeah. it's, I think like I wrote, and I've, I've, I've kind of kind of turned to a mantra in some ways. Is like I, I don't want to run from it, but I don't want it to define me. But like, I, it's it's something I, I'm happy to talk about. Uh, yeah, and, and I you know I appreciate that, and I I've, just through my interactions with you, through listening to podcast uh, the up and in, and, and you know you helped me write an article once, and I met you. I've actually met you at a field out here in Michigan like five six years ago. You've always been, uh, you know, gracious and, and very uh, nice, and I don't, uh, you know, have anything negative to say about you. And I, I just, uh, you, you've uh, already kind of explained yourself and said, hey, you can feel bad about me if you want. But I guess my, my whole thing is, you've got that forum at Fangraphs to talk about all this stuff, and you will. And, and I'm looking forward to all those articles. So I just wanted to kind of steer it a little bit towards uh, your experiences uh, as they cross over with the Detroit Tigers. Sure. Just because that's, uh, you know, that's the nature of our podcast. So. Uh, but having said that, one thing I did want to start, uh, just kind of a broad sense, is, is kind of what you did for the Astros, what, what your title was or titles with their various commas and, uh, and, and you know, how that evolved. Um, I, I got hired on in September of 2012. Uh, I was hired as a coordinator, comma, pro scouting. Um, I think that happened just because of the exceptionally political world that baseball front offices are um even though i had the title i was running pro scouting i was defining our coverage i was doing the hiring um and all that kind of stuff so i really was acting as director of pro scouting and after a year they made me director of pro scouting um in 2017 summer of 2017 um yet you know, there was a a wide reconfiguration of the front office that included um really a, a a severe cutback that turned into almost a pure elimination of in-person pro scouting, um, at which point I was made special assistant to the GM. Um, and really, my job didn't change that much with the title because I was already doing a lot of these things. So I was already, you know, spent most of my spring, even though I was he he heading up the pro scouting department, most of my spring was spent running around the country seeing draft guys uh, and kind of serving as kind of a, an additional national cross-checker reference. Um, and I always made, you know, multiple trips internationally, uh, mostly to Dominican, but also, uh, you know, Mexico, went to Japan and, and to do international work and, and, uh, go see guys over there. We were thinking about, you know, writing big checks too. Um, and then really over the last three years or so, I, I became more involved with some of the transactional stuff and actually, um, you know, conducting some, some trade and free agent negotiations and, and, you know, for some of those, uh, it was stuff that, you know, where I was initiating the conversation and, and dealing with it, and then it would get bumped up to a higher pay grade, and other ones I saw all the way through. So, um, so yeah, I was in the draft room every year. It was in the, it was in the, obviously in the room for the trade deadline every year. I was in the suite for the GM meetings. I was involved with, with all of our transactional stuff and then roster decisions and all that kind of stuff. It was, uh, uh, I used to put it as, as, you know, involved with everything and in charge of nothing. It was, it was a great gig. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I always imagined that I would absolutely love being in the draft room. I don't know why. It's probably not nearly as fun as I, I picture. No, it's a good just time. Kind of, don't don't kid yourself. I just, yeah, I picture the idea of like, oh, the guy you really want, he's there. Or the guy you really wanted, you miss on him. And he's just like, ah! Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I wonder, you know, did, did you feel like maybe you were tracking toward a GM position? Or were you interested in anything like that? Um, it, I don't think so. I don't think I was tracking toward a GM position for a variety of reasons. I think a lot of it had to do with, um, 
how GM positions get hired at this point. I don't, I don't have a Ivy League degree. I don't have a college credit. Oh. Um, you know, and so mm-hmm. it, it just didn't fit the profile. And, and I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like the old business saying it's like no one ever got fired for picking IBM you know I, I think it would take uh, an incredible amount of, of guts and, and risk to, to pick the you know the 51 year old bald guy with an earring um, I think that's a rough way to go and so I thought I had an AGM ceiling um, and, and there were some things heading that way before everything went to shit yeah. can I say yeah. shit? yeah yeah, yeah sure. you can yeah okay. absolutely okay. <laughs> you can say anything you'd like you know that that uh, that's what I say. You know when when I think about the uh, being you know the title of pro scouting, I just kind of imagine you know scouting a lot of minor leagues, major leagues, stuff like that. But then you know the one time I did see you was at uh, at a Nick Plummer game. Yeah, and... you were at that. Uh, yeah, three two baseball. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Can I tell you a funny story from that? Sure. So um, uh, if you remember, like the Astros were in Detroit that weekend. Yep. Um, and so I w- I was with the team. And um, Michael Elias, who headed up our, our amateur group at the time, asked me if I could see Nick Plummer. And I said, yeah, of course. You know, we had a night game that night. And he, was, he was playing a doubleheader. Um, and, um, you know, we were seeing the team. I actually drove up there with, with my, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And Congrats. Thanks. So we've been married for, for two years as of last week. We've been together for 22, but we've been married oh, for wow. two. Um, you know, I had to make sure she was the right one, you know. And... Yeah. Um, so anyway, so like watching Nick Plummer and I, you know, watched the first game and get a good number of the bats. And then um, like around the fourth or fifth inning of, of the second, all of a sudden my phone rings and it, it's it's my wife. And she says, you got to come back. She's, she's the team hotel. You got to come back to the team hotel. I'm like, oh, God, what? how are you? Okay. She sounded upset. And she, um, she, you know, she was just, you know, sitting around the room watching TV and she got up. And she stubbed her toe on the luggage rack in the room, and she broke it. Oh wow! And, I, and so I drove back to the hotel. It was like it was about twenty minutes from from whatever high school that was. Plumber was at, and um, I think it was brother Rice, maybe. And well, yeah, I mean, and uh, and then I took her to the hospital. And we missed the game that night because uh, I was oh, night in the emergency room dealing with my wife's uh, broken toe. But then we ended up going back to the team hotel. I don't know what it's called, but it's lovely. We had a really good meal. Um, and then we went to the game the next day. But yeah, that, I, that's always when I think of Plumber, I think of the time my wife broke her toe. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if you guys were at the Townsend. Um, that sounds you know, familiar. You, you know, it's funny because I, yeah, I was there and I saw you and then you were gone. I'm like, wow, you must not have liked Plummer very much because I remember you were like, yeah, sloppy, sloppy. And it was, <laughs> I mean, it was it's high school baseball. I, I, I don't understand how amateur scouts can look at these guys facing like 78 miles an hour and project a major league future or let alone like the Dominicans kids, like you said, but that's, uh, you know, that's their job. It's not easy. Yeah. And we get a lot, I mean, we get a lot wrong. I liked Plummer. I turned Plummer in very, very, very well. I mean, I, I just remember him roping everything. He was yeah, he tore balls that day. Yeah, yeah, it was just consistent hard and, contact. It was easy for him. And I, 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 inter- I went there to interview him basically. But yeah, oh, okay. he, was a nice, he was a nice kid, and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it was just. But uh, you know, unfortunately, it's baseball is very hard. Um, the the one other kind of broad question I wanted to ask you, and this is just kind of, I'm just kind of curious about how how close the sort of public facing prospect coverage is to what you might see in a front office. Like I assume teams have their version of OFP and FV or whatever it is. Is it basically just maintaining large databases of, of every prospect in every system? 
Um, I think every team does it differently. Um, you know, for a while maintained prospect list, but kind of got away from it just because I thought it was too much work and, and we would more do the work when time came, you know. All of a sudden, you know, for whatever reason, we were talking to the Tigers and it took the next step where we actually had to look at players. Um, we would have just a baseline of guys who have caught our eye and interested us and start with those and start digging on those guys. Um, but we got away from just having like some sort of core prospect ranking. Um, and we also, you know, got away from it just because I think they're simplistic, like things like OFP. Like, I just think, I think you need to understand where a player's coming from. And I think just think it's way too simplistic just to go, oh, 54. You know, like, <laughs> you know I just, you know, I think one, you know, you could have two guys, 54, who both bring just utterly, completely different things to the field, right? You know, yeah. you could have some slug left fielder who has no defensive value and, and, and wax balls hard and, and you know, know how much he's going to hit. Oh, 54. And you could have some low bat slick feeling shortstop, but he's going to have defensive value. And I'm like, oh, 54. Like, yeah, it's not enough. Like, yeah, I know where the 54 mm-hmm. comes from. And so you know, I, we, we got into a very um, you know, player-specific model, I guess would be the best way to put it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think, uh, you know, speaking of the Tigers just signed uh, Nomar Mazzara, and I was thinking about, you know, all right. Well, yeah, I saw that. Uh, slugging left fielder who has never quite uh, lived up to his potential, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating because I, I do think, generally speaking, when you get more granular and you're getting more specific, I think you're going to end up with better stuff. Uh, right. And, you know, and when, you, when you do this for your living and, and it's, your, it's your entire life, like the second someone says, oh, the Tigers are talking to us, you have players in mind immediately just in your brain. Like, well, who, who are we talking about? Are we talking about, like, a premium guy? Are we talking about, like, a mid-range guy? Are we talking about a sleeper? Like, which one, you know, which one do you want? We can start going through a list, you know, and they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's you got to be up on that. You can't just uh, be like, oh, I don't know. Let me look. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that was basically it for my broad questions. I don't know if, Rahela, did you have anything that you were really curious about? It, well, in terms of, like, just uh, from the international side of things, too, is it – you were talking about this earlier, Chris, about that, just seeing a 15-year-old – it just seems like when you see more and more now too that the big the big money signings are not it's usually the smaller in the smaller cases offering less money with like uh, Kuna for example. Just how much in, when you see the investment and just kind of when are you almost like when are you start kind of realizing like I don't know this is kind of not working out because it, it just <laughs> it's just because it's like all of a sudden it's like at 19, 20 years old I know that around twenty about twenty three twenty four is when you expect they gotta get out of that prospect range. And then hopefully become a productive player. But when, yeah, when did you start seeing that? When it's just like, oh man, man, and you hear the toilet sound. I mean, you hear that kind of like, you hear almost in the back of your mind, you hear this kind of like, yeah, yeah welcome yeah. to my world. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the, it's the great challenge of international. It's just like you go see these kids and you go see them, you know, a year or two before they're eligible to sign. So you're watching 14 year olds. Um, and, it's such a thing and you have to come to terms with it one way or another, just like you go see the 14 year old and then you get back to your hotel room to write your reports and you go, okay, I'm now going to tell you what I think this guy's going to look like in a decade, <laughs> you know? And, and it's just, it's, it's on a level insanity and, and you know, all you can really do is, is do your best to, you know, describe and project the athleticism and tools because none of them are good baseball players yet. And they're all just tools machines, you know, and they're not even playing baseball. They're just working out. They're just preparing themselves for workouts for teams. There's just, there's not a lot of game situations, you know, 
And so to just a pure tools evaluation and, and, and kind of a, and, and thinking about the athleticism, and then there's so many challenges beyond that. Um, you know, the Dominican Republic is a third world country in a lot of ways. And, and a lot of these kids are coming from absolute poverty and you can see this kid and, and he's malnourished. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you, and you have to add that to the, to the, you know, to the piece. And you gotta, you know, I, I learned so much from the scouts down there as far as what they look at and what they look for. Um, and they're already making all these mental adjustments because they're from there and they can appreciate it much more than, 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 than you or I can. And so, uh, it's, a, you know, it's certainly, I think the most difficult scouting just because of the age and, and just what you're doing and what you're trying to do. It's such an incredible challenge, but at the same time, you know, it's, I know it's hard and I know they miss a lot and you can talk about Acuna, but like to this day, like you ask, there's a lot of people ask you the best international hitter you ever saw. And tons of them are going to say Miggy Cab, you know, mm-hmm. who, who was the top bonus guy the year he came out. Uh, you know, I remember when he signed out of it, it was with the Marlins, but he was the considered the top guy. And there's some guy will say that was the best, you know, 15 year old hitter I ever saw. And so, um, you know, the ones who stand out, who really stand out, you can, you can tell. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think about someone like Kevin Maitan, who mm-hmm. seemed like, you know, people were saying he was the best hitter since Cabrera. You know, there's a lot of hyperbole. I, I, <laughs> uh, but, I, I mean, people thought that. And then yeah, I think his body just basically went sideways on our backed up. And, and I, yeah. there's a, a kid here in Michigan that I talk about, uh, Luke Lito, who was one of the top, like, uh, you know, top players as a high school sophomore. And, and now he might not go in the top 100. I don't know. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's tough. I mean that's the thing that when they're as young as that is as that is they're not there's there's so many questions about what's still going to happen physically that you just can't answer that are real difficult and um if i can pull a name out that i'm you, know, you guys might remember um late 90s i want to say maybe early 2000s the reds spent millions of dollars on a beautiful uh framed outfielder named juan duran and oh, yeah i do remember them yeah and so they signed juan duran it's like this kid, this kid looks unbelievable and he was 15, and, and he had a late growth spurt, and he went from 6'3 to 6'8. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, he was 6'8, and he had no coordination left. Yeah. He got he got super long, and all the coordination left, and he just couldn't, he just, there's no coordination. There was no hand-eye coordination. He couldn't swing a bat well anymore. It just all went to hell real, <coughs> excuse me, real quick. I, yeah, I recall a uh, an infielder for the Dodgers that that happened to in the, in the early 2000s as well. Joel Guzman? Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Mm-hmm. Yep. All yeah, of a sudden, he was 255 pounds. <laughs> yeah, you don't picture the guys turning into tight ends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> he, he, he enjoyed the Burger King a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, just uh, you want to flip it down to the Tiger stuff uh, after I you know, took that 15-minute detour. I, sure. I, there were like four or five things that I, I thought just would be really interesting to get your insight on. The first one is uh, A.J. Hench. You know, Tiger's just hired, hired A.J. Hench. Uh, yeah. Curious, curious what you can tell us about him. Um, He's going to do great. I don't know what else. I'm not sure what else you want. Um, well, uh, yeah, I, no, I, I, I look. I, it, it's it's important for everyone to understand that I'm coming at you with bias. I consider AJ a friend, mm-hmm. um, and someone who I have very strong feelings for. All of them are positive. I think he's a really good person. I think he is a really good manager. Um, I think last year really you know, impacted him and how much he missed the game. And I can't even begin to imagine um, the energy and the drive he's going to bring to the gig in Detroit. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, you know, I, I sat on my couch and watched AJ's press conference on MLB Network um, 
with an absolutely gleaming smile on my face. I was just so happy for him. And I think he's going to do great. And I think he's a really good manager. I think he's really good with the players. Um, I think it's interesting that he is in some ways coming to the Tigers in a similar situation when he came to the Astros where it, this team's not good yet, but it's going to be good. You know what I mean? And, you know, his first year with, uh, with the, the Astros, like I quit saying we or us because I don't work for him anymore. Um, yeah. but the, the first year with the Astros was 2015. Um, the expectations at the time was like, maybe we'll get to 500 this year. This, this team might be a 500 team. Um, and they, they ended up in the wild card and made a nice, nice little run against Kansas City that year in the playoffs after beating the Yankees in the wild card game. And, um, you know, the difference between that team being a 500 team and that team getting to the wild card in the second round of the playoffs was AJ. Um, yeah, period. so that's that's what, kind of what I was going to get. I, I, I've always maintained that I just I have no idea how much managers actually matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that's you know just a failing on my part. If it, like I, I have to assume anybody who's ever had a good manager at any job is going to you know feel better about going to work, right? Uh, but I just don't know how you ever quantify it. Yeah, it's impossible. Have to. I, yeah, I, I, that's the thing. Like, it, forget about not having to. The best thing is not to try. Um, yeah, and so you get in a situation where. You know, you, we can we can measure managers like strategically. You know, oh, we shouldn't have bunted there. Oh, we took in the wrong, mm-hmm. put in the wrong reliever and and add some you know and bullshit some kind of run value to that or whatever. Um, but it's it's the difference between what managers do is get the best performances out of their players. Mm-hmm. And so you know, when that guy suddenly you know you thought he'd hit two seventy with twelve and he hits two eighty five with fifteen, that might be the manager. You know, he he might have been a, in a happier place. Um, or, or maybe even just used properly, and it's the, those are the kind of things that a manager can do that you, that you cannot, you know, in any logically way directly assign, but they happen. Yeah, you know, some some player on the Tigers, I don't know who is going to have some, you know, someone's going to be shittier than you think too, but someone's going to be better than you think, and it's going to be because of AJ. Yeah, I mean that that's I, I would say the enthusiasm from this offseason, the moves by far it was it was getting AJ Hinch and then you know following up with Chris Feder as the pitching coach. I mean, yeah, were... I, yeah, Chris is going to do a great job there. You know, it's it's you know, having you know lived in Illinois and doing a lot of scouting in the Midwest and, and spending certainly uh, a good number of time sitting on those hard metal seats in Ann Arbor. Um, <laughs> he is uh, uh, more than more than ready for the gig and and it's going to bring something that I I think was you know. A lot of teams lack, frankly. I think you know, he brings a, a, a really he brings a real baseball background, a real baseball mind to a, a very advanced, high level, intellectual way of looking at pitching. And it's a, it's a it can be a, a deadly combination. It's, it's such a hard combination to find. And um, like he's a guy I, I is is absolutely going to do a great job, and, and is the perfect fit for for you know what you guys are doing in Detroit with all that young pitching. Yeah, that reminded me. I, I forgot that the Astros took Jordan Brewer. Yeah, it was a good week, and I saw Jordan Brewer, who we took, and Hunter Brown, who we took. Oh yeah, from from Wayne State. Yeah, from Wayne State. We drove to Wayne State first and got lost, and then uh, <laughs> and then saw Hunter Brown pitch, and then spent that drove sp- drove that night to Ann Arbor, slept, and woke up and saw Jordan Brewer for a couple of days. Awesome. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that was a hell of a fun Michigan team to watch. Uh, there was. Uh, in in a uh, you know sort of in a related note, then like you're talking about when AJ is coming to to the Tigers, I, I wanted to just kind of touch on the, the whole process of rebuilding, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. It felt a little bit like the Astros set the, the prototype for this, this complete tear down and rebuild. And um, 
I know a lot, a lot of Tigers fans pointed to the Astros and the Cubs when this started. I'm like, that's uh, we're gonna do it like that. And and I, I try to tell people like, hey, it's not nearly that easy. Um, people tend to look at the Cubs as, as having done it with all their, you know, drafted bats, but they forget about Jake Arrieta and Kyle Hendricks and, and the trades right. they made. And, and with the Astros, I mean, yeah, Justin Verlander played a big role. Yeah, well, if I'm not mistaken, I th- I think Springer, Altuve, and Keiko were already in the system when the yes. rebuild began. That's absolutely so that, correct. That's going to help a little bit, I think, <laughs> when you've got three amazing players. Um, but but yeah, I, I guess you know all that is to say, like, I'm just kind of curious what what you think is is the most important part of of a rebuild. Uh, you know, is it churning through players? Is it getting the draft right? Is it uh, I don't know if there's one thing you think is more important than others. There's not. Everything has to be right. You know, you got to you need to use these years when you don't think you're a playoff contender to figure out who's going to be on the team when it is. Mm-hmm. And so you have to take advantage of this time to give guys a chance to prove that they are going to be part of a playoff team. Uh, yeah. And if they're not, you have to be willing to move on. Um, you need to draft well. You need to develop well. I mean, people, I think, always underestimate the player development aspect of it. Um, Drafting is one thing. Turning those guys into big leaguers is another. It's it's as big, if not a bigger, part of, of, of the thing. You know, you're you're drafting kind of this piece of clay, and then you got to give it to some sculptors. If those sculptors aren't ready, you're going to crap. And so, uh, it's about drafting. It's about player development. It's about making the right moves when you need to make the right moves. And I think that's one of the things that's really important is just discipline, is knowing kind of when the window is going to start and when to when to make the push, uh, in into that. And um, and and Look, the Astros did it very well. The Cubs did it very well. There's lots of teams trying to do it that are really struggling to get over that hump. It's not a guarantee. You definitely need some breaks. You need some guys to surprise you and turn to things you didn't expect them to turn into. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I assume you're excited about the Tiger system. You should be excited <laughs> about the Tiger system. Um, I thought they had a really, really nice draft in, in June. Um, and so it's coming. And, and But for it to for us to go from it coming to, hey, it worked out, um, it's going to take some breaks. I mean, you know, every team who gets it gets breaks, and you just need the you need a couple coin flips to go your way. You know, uh, it's just for somebody, I've watched the Tigers for all my life, and in, in doing more research, it's kind of there's this large gap between this is where I, if, if hearing that is more makes me feel a little more optimistic because you talk about a span where the Tigers literally had three draft classes from '74, '75, and '76. That basically carried them till the, the early '90s, and so this mm-hmm. is a, a a system that really has not been able to develop their own high end talent. Where you're talking, for example, Terry Skubal is the first left hander to start since Scott Aldred in 1991. I mean, this is <laughs> in terms of developing talent from what the lower parts of the draft is has a lot to do with that luck. And I look at the Dodgers. What is it, Chris? The 2016 draft class? What was yeah. it? That the, you get like fourteen oh, guys ins- the majors already. Yeah. Holy shit! Like, just it, it's insane to me. But but then twenty seventeen, not so much. I don't know. So <laughs> it's it's a yeah. I mean, I, I don't like you know you don't want to disparage anybody's work, but scouting's really hard. And sometimes you you hit yeah. on a lot of these guys, and and sometimes I, I assume the guys that you want aren't there. And I don't know. I I, I just kind of you know I imagine you wouldn't have joined the Astros if you didn't think that they were heading in the right direction. But I wonder if there was like one specific point you were like, you know, holy shit, we might actually take this all the way and win the World Series? Um, I don't think there's one specific point. I mean, it did feel like somewhere around that 15-year 
um, and and you know to go back to you know one of the things we're talking about at one of our main subjects, like with, with AJ in the place, it suddenly went, oh, this team's ready to take a big step forward, and and they did, but it also felt like just on a talent level, you could take a big step forward. Now, you kind of go through some stages, and obviously, you know, when I got there, the team just stunk. It was awful. It was dreadful. It was horrible to watch. It, I, it was bad. Just a bad, bad baseball team. And then you take this this next step. Nothing's instant. You take this next step where you're still not good, but when a team comes to town, they got to take you seriously. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's like the 70-something win team. And then you take the next step where it's like, the team's not good yet, but you still take them seriously, and it's young and exciting. And there's just some days where I'm, we're just going to – the White Sox remind me of this team like last year. Like, they're not that good yet, but there's days where they're just going to show up and out-athlete you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we turned into that for a while. And then, uh, you know, some of the pitching got right, and we became good. Uh, and then how do you become – you know, we can talk about good to great, but good to great was trades and free agency signings. You know, and that, yeah. that's where that extra piece comes. And, you know, obviously – you know, close to Detroit, the Verlander deal and, and what an adventure that was, was uh, something that kind of worked out. Yeah, we're going to get into that uh, right about now. In just a second, I, the, the one other thing I wanted to say is what has always been remarkable to me about the Astros' rise to, to such levels of success is they did it with, uh, there were a couple pretty big uh, missteps. And, you know, they're, they're going to happen. Of course, yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, losing out on J.D. Martinez right before he, he <laughs> turned into a massive slugger and and taking Mark Appel first overall and, and like, you know, these things happen, but those are two that could derail a rebuild really quickly. And instead uh, they powered right through it. And I, I yeah. We really had impressive. things to make up for luckily. And, 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 you know, I was watching JD Martinez go over nine in a backfield game the day before we let him go. And we talked about letting him go and, and not a single person in the room stood up and said, we shouldn't do this. Yeah. Um, and so that's like, I mean, not just that we didn't get that wrong. We all got that one wrong. Um, yeah. And Appel's an interesting case in the sense that I yep. think, I, I think I know that if we, if the Astros knew then what they know now about pitching and pitch quality and what they look for in pitching, they would not have taken Mark Appel. And it's one of those lessons learned, you know, and, and they did and it didn't work out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just a lowly Twitter person, but my pinned tweet is, uh, I don't believe J.D. Martinez is a MLB ball player, MLB player <laughs> from, from May 2014. That was after he you know, his first week with the Tigers. I'm like, this isn't going to work. Right. And I keep that there to remind people that I don't know what the hell I'm doing. None of us. No, we're, all, <laughs> we're all faking it. Don't worry about it. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to get into this. Is uh, I don't know, just to be able to get your insight. Uh, this sort of stuff is really valuable. I, I'm kind of curious what, if anything, you remember about a couple of trades. The first one is, is not a big deal, uh, at least in, in the grand scheme of things, is the Jose Veras for, I believe it was Danry Vasquez and Dan David Vasquez Paulino. Vasquez and David Paulino. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a very early one for me. Um, and, but also kind of an important one for me it was, it was, it was kind of a proof of concept. Uh, you know, when I interviewed for the job, I, you know, just like anyone, I showed up and said, if you want me to run pro scouting, this is how I'd run pro scouting. I showed up with a plan and, and part of that plan was to really dig on, um, the DSL and rookie leagues and to find players before their own team got excited about them, before they got prospect hype, before they got anything like that. And um, and we had scouts assigned to just Florida and Arizona where they'd hang out and do some of the local leagues and stuff, but they were really focused on the complexes and, and, and staying for extended and doing the rookie league and doing instructs and all that kind of stuff and watching these kids that nobody knows yet, you know, and trying to find us some, some dimes in the rough that we could know about maybe before their own team even did. 
and so that was the first one that um i mean we had a, a trade that summer they got us francis martez and yeah. then but like the tigers it was just an easy thing like we had various versus sometimes closing for us but we get decent leverage really we're not a closer but like we mm-hmm. stunk so he was closing for us and um and great dude and 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 you know a, a, you know worthy worthy bullpen piece in any team power arm yeah. and you know the tigers called us and needed to figure something out and you know they they just kind of wanted him and and you know emphasis on kind of they weren't going to like give us any sort of top piece for him and so uh we agreed on danry vasquez who um, you know, you remember well, kind of a frustrating talent, high bonus kid. You know, clearly could hit, but the power never came. Yeah, um, then he ended up being a bit of a scumbag. I never being, well, <laughs> you, you, you don't need to say bit of. Um, uh. <laughs> and um, and so uh, he ended up getting released after a domestic violence incident. Yeah, and but he still plays in Venezuela, and um, and so we, you know, they agreed to, to, to do Vasquez, and and you know, we wanted to see if we could maybe get a little sweetener. And our scout uh, down in Florida at the time, uh, Alex Jacobs, who's now uh, still in baseball with the Diamondbacks, um, gave me a couple names and said, yeah, these are some guys I like. And one was Paulino. I'm like, this Paulino guy barely threw. And uh, he goes, yeah, he just had a Tommy John as well. Mm-hmm. And I said, so you want me to acquire a kid who has like a handful of innings who just had a Tommy John? And he said, yeah, he's like 6'8". It's real good shit. And I said, you're insane. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jeff said, "Give me some names." I said, eh, "Just do it out of Tommy John," and um, let's just try this. And we asked for some. We I wish I remembered. We asked for someone else first, and and they said no. And I said, "I said, just do me ask for David Paulino." And um, they asked for David Paulino, and they were gonna, you know, they're gonna say, yeah, "We'll get back to you." And he came back, and they said, "We do Paulino, but we can't. He just had Tommy John." Mm-hmm. And 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 Jeff Luno said, "Yeah, we know." And they said, oh, "Okay." <laughs> I said, we'll take them. And then that was that. And I remember, like, I, I still remember, I was like, it wasn't the deadline yet. So I wasn't in Houston. I still, I never moved to Houston. I lived in Illinois the whole time. I was standing on my deck, like, barbecuing and, like, telling him to take David Molino and thinking, this is my <laughs> world now. And um, and it worked out. And and, and Polino was a really good prospect who, who never could get over the hump for a variety of reasons. Yeah. He had all sorts of, he looked great. And then he just, things started falling apart physically for him. And, um, but yeah, that was the that was certainly the first trade with the Tigers I was involved with, and I thought we really pulled something off with Paulino. It just didn't work out. But I mean, he had trade value for a long time, so maybe something mm-hmm. happened there. But yeah, it just it happens. Prospects don't work out sometimes. But he looked really good for a little while. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple aspects of that that are that are really fun. I think our buddy, uh, I think that Alex Alex Jacob was our buddy's kind of scouting mentor, uh, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's great. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just thinking. Uh, I, I was covering the Tigers minor leagues at the time, and I remember, you know, David Polino was basically he was Brenny Polino's cousin or whatever. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Brenny Polino was the the prospect, and then uh, he right. disappeared. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, just to, to with Martez and Polino, they both became kind of consensus top one hundred prospects at least on the internet. And, right, and to, right. Get, to get that, I mean, for uh, you know, I don't know how many innings Veras threw for the Tigers, like fifteen, twenty. I mean, that's a that's a good value. Yeah, even no, if it, it didn't good. quite work it, out, it, it was kind of it was kind of like proving that I thought this could work out, and we could we could maybe access these kind of players if we could identify the right ones. Yeah, I mean, and then then you see what happened with Jordan Alvarez. Jeez, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you sign him or trade for him before he ever takes a takes an at bat, that's uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll finish with the, the the big one, the Justin Verlander trade, kind of the inflection <laughs> point for both of these franchises. Uh, I'm curious what you could tell us about all that. 
I mean, obviously, you know, as you guys all know, uh, you know, it was wild. For, uh, you know, it was wild. And um, the most interesting thing is just that, um, you know, obviously I went to Houston and spent like the last week or so um, in Houston for the for the trade deadline for July, right? Um, and sometimes the team was on the road. I would, I would just travel with the team and the executives would be traveling with the team and we'd be doing the trade deadline from there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Justin was... Uh, not a trade deadline deal. It was, a, it was a waiver deadline deal. And so I was home. I was sitting in the seat I'm sitting in right now in my office. And, you know, but we did have, you know, this thing was going on for for, for more than a week. Um, and we had, mo- you know, the players kept moving around. The players kept changing. The arguments kept changing. Um, and it was, it was, it was wild. Um, and then we finally... You know, got to the point where you know we had an agreement in principle, um, and obviously Justin had to approve it, mm-hmm. and and that was going to be its own part of the whole thing. And you know, once you get there, I'm out of it. You know, my job is yeah. to talk about players and and the, and 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 what we should you know things we should trade. And you know, there were a lot of a lot of arguments about Franklin Perez. There were a lot of other players involved in the deal at, at, at other times. Um, you know, Daz, we knew had to be a part of it, so we already already given that up. Jake, we knew had to be a part of it and to give that up. And there were a lot of arguments over who the next guy. And you know, for a lot of people, Perez was too much, and others were fine with it. And then you know, can we downshift to this or maybe try this guy? But then it turned into Perez had to be a part of it. And um, but once the trade got approved, in, in terms of just the players, then obviously you had the Verlander piece, mm-hmm. and so you had to get sign off from Justin. But also, we had a clock ticking. You know, there was a yeah. deadline that was that night. And um, I just remember like at nine o'clock looking at my 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 lovely wife and just saying, I, I look, I know I'm working, but I got to pour a drink um, <laughs> and and had a couple that night and just kind of waiting because I'm out of it. Like I, once you get to the point where you're talking about the player for trade approval, that's not my job. Right. Yeah. And then, um, you know, <laughs> so I remember get, getting texts from someone who, who was involved with what was going on, all the phone calls and the faxes and all that stuff with Justin. I remember getting a text that just said, we got him. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. But then like three minutes later, it, 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 it was like dot, dot, dot. Oh, wait a minute. You know, it's like, oh, what's going on? Um, and, you know, he was so busy, he couldn't really give me details or anything like that. And then like five minutes later, like, oh, we got him. Like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, and obviously he pitched great for us. And, and um I just always appreciate, you know, I, I don't think I need to tell anyone listening to your podcast. I assume they all know what Justin Verlander is, but just kind of how intense a competitor he is and how much he, how driven he is to get better. Like, this is Justin Verlander. This dude's won Cy Young. This guy's won MVP. This guy's been a, a number one starter for a long time. And he shows up in Houston and he could have pulled whatever he wanted and it would have been fine, you know? Mm-hmm. And instead, he goes, tell, show me everything you got on me. I want to know everything you got on me all the day and all the analytics. I want to know everything you got on me. And what can I, tell me how I can be better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah that I mean, always, that's always, that always kind of stuck with me. That's, uh, yeah. The, the, so there are a lot of fans around here that, that are hoping Verlander will come back. As You know, you want, to, you want to see that. I mean, he's possibly the greatest pitcher in the organization history. Uh, it, and I was looking at it. I'm like, all right, wait a minute. So he's like 38. He's won everything you could possibly win. He's he's got you know a young kid. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got millions of dollars. Why is he even bothering to come back from Tommy John surgery? And and my conclusion is he's insane. And it's the it's the uh, the insane sort of competitiveness that you see from the the best athletes ever, really. Absolutely, the Jordans and, 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 and 
that he's driven to come back and, and he wants to come back and he wants to pitch. I don't think he'd ever accept it because he loves starting. But I always wondered if like some sort of late career John Smoltz closer thing would work yeah. out for him post injury. But I don't think he'd do it. Um, it he, I, I, I can't even imagine approaching him about a bullpen thing. I, I can't imagine what the conversation would be like. But it would it would possibly involve violence. It would not be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it would probably be nope. Um, well, I, I could say yeah. I mean that was that was a huge day on baseball Twitter and Tigers Twitter. I, I was actually on vacation in Williamsburg, Virginia. Yeah. So I think it was after midnight when the news actually filtered yeah. out. It was nuts. And, yeah, and it was like I was up for another hour, and it was just yeah, you know, it was just kind of wild. It was like, hey, all right, man, well, you know, we love you here. Go win that World Series, and he did, and that was awesome to see. But uh, subsequently, things haven't worked out all that great on the, on the Tigers front, and that's the risk you take with prospects, I guess. But I, I sure. there was we we have one friend who who claimed. Uh, you know, vociferously that that had Dave Dombrowski still been the GM, he wouldn't have made the trade without <laughs> Kyle Tucker and or uh, Forrest Whitley. Uh, and <laughs> I, I don't think the, I, I don't know. think the, I don't think the trade would have happened that way. Yeah, I assume not. But yeah, yeah but I don't. I don't. It's people always want to. You know, Dave Dombrowski was great at trading, and people want to kind of mm-hmm. assume that he was always going to get the most he could. But sure. I, I don't know. I, I figure that there was a lot of back and forth there, no matter what. Yeah, there were a ton of players that, that who ended up in that picture at various times. Yeah. And then the other thing we've we've heard, unfortunately, is like, oh, you know, the Astros they sold us a bill of goods. You know, Franklin Perez has just been injured, and it's super unfortunate. Yeah, he, he's... it's super unfortunate. And I, I, I mean, look, I, I saw. I mean, I'm, I, I saw Franklin as an amateur. I saw Franklin when he was 15 at a, at a showcase in the Dominican, the International Showcase, the first time I saw him, and mm-hmm. and you know actually was able to, you know, he was signed by our international director at the time, Ozzo Campos, now with the Pirates. And, you know, me and Oz got to, like, really spend time with him and sit down with him and talk to him and, and what you want to do before you sign his way. And he's such a good kid. And, and I can't tell you how much I was rooting for him. And I really wanted to succeed. And, um, you know, I know he's wearing another uniform, but that's how people treat this in this industry. You get close to these mm-hmm. people and you care about them. You, you know, they're human beings and not just, you know, a headshot and a web page and a stat line. And... You know, I've always been rooting for Frank. I still follow Franklin on Instagram. You know, it, it's I, I want Franklin to succeed, and it's it's been heartbreaking to see what he's been going through. Yeah, and you just you never know. I went and met him at like a Christmas meet and greet thing. I was covering mm. an interview, and I was just amazed at how big he was. Like just mm. just these yeah, forearms huge. from hell. Yeah, he's huge. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then and then you know we we found that uh, when I was in Toledo a couple of years ago. Doug Minkiewicz, who was the coach of the, the Mudhens oh, at the time, yep, yep. Oh boy. <laughs> was <laughs> extremely displeased with uh, Daz Cameron and Jake Rogers. It was pretty vocal about it, and I think eventually got him fired. And it was like, what is, what's going on here? Is there just like a huge culture shock here between the Astro system and, and the Tiger system? Are these, I don't think they're bad kids. I mean, we interviewed Daz. He seemed really nice. That's great, <laughs> I, yeah. So I, I don't know what the hell happened, but uh, yeah, still waiting on that return on this end, unfortunately. Understood. Happens, happens all the time. So yeah, I mean, what a that's fantastic, fabulous insight. I really appreciate you giving it uh, to us. I, I told you we would only take you for a half an hour. It's already been like forty-five minutes. I, I, I got uh, time. Whatever you want. Well, I mean, I only had a couple like rapid fire things. I don't know. Go. Really, did you have anything you wanted to? Uh, one question. Actually, we had a question from our one of our guys on staff at University of Angles. He wanted to know what you're. What are you drinking? Uh, that was uh, <laughs> a nod to your old podcast. I, I, I. It's very boring right now. It's a diet Dr Pepper. Maybe I'll have a cocktail after this. <laughs> Those are, I mean, as diet drinks go, that's pretty delicious. I, I it's mean, the best it's one. It's pretty yeah. close to Dr. Pepper. That's yeah. the best one, yeah. 
Yeah. And the, drink a lot the of soda, cherry, so they the, call me Dr. Pepper. <laughs> the, the cherry Dr. Pepper is also a pretty good choice, too, as well. Um, Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so the only other things I, I had, like, I, I don't know if there were any other deals that got really close. That you probably can't get too specific, but I, I wonder. Yeah, if I tend not to talk about ones that didn't get done. Just I don't think it's really yeah. fair to the players to know that they were, you know, up like that. Yeah. So yeah, that's fine. I, I totally understand that. Uh, uh, oh yeah, this is the general baseball stuff. What should we make of the reports of teams losing all sorts of money last year? Um, that it's both the truth and bullshit. Um, yeah. And I'll explain that. Uh, so I think it's very easy. I mean, they, look, yeah, teams lost money last year. Yes, that happened. You know, I cannot deny that. But it's it's a very, it's a snapshot in time. And it's it's just an, e- it's an easy thing to, to, to complain about if you're on that side of things. Because you're not lying. You're telling the truth. But um, they made so much money in the years beforehand that if you look at, you know, if I give you $10 every year for five years and then the sixth year you have to give me twenty dollars you've just had biblical losses you've lost (laughs) more money this year than you've ever made but if you add it all up you made 30 bucks you know what i'm saying and so you can claim biblical losses i have biblical losses i lost twice as much money as i've ever made and that's (laughs) all true but overall you made 30 bucks you made a lot of money and I think if you see things like even, you know, with as much money as, as teams lost that year, you see, you know, for example, with the Mets were sold. And that's what's really all about it, is, 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 a, is these ascending franchise values. Um, yeah. You know, you can teams, you know, you buy the team for $800 million. You claim losses every year. You sell it for $1.8 billion. Guess what? You made a lot of money. And, and you know, I used to, before I got into baseball, I used to say owning a, owning a baseball team is a license to print money. Nothing in my eight years changed that notion. Not one thing. It just really didn't. And and I think you see that kind of things. And they're just, you know, they're not lying about biblical losses. They're certainly deceiving when they talk about how much debt they have. I think what you've seen a lot of teams do of late, um, you know, the Cubs are a big one, and the Cubs are a team always complaining about their debt. Um, you know, the Astros are a team. To, is so many of these teams have bought up so much land around the ballpark. Um, Tigers and, too. Yeah, absolutely. And you say, oh, look at all this debt we took on. It's because you bought all this land. You made an investment, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's all, it's all worth And once you get, you know, not to get too political, but once you get into hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, creative accounting can show whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, did they lose a lot of money last year? Yes, they lost a lot of money last year. Is it some sort of, like, long-term thing that affects them? No. They've made tons of money and they'll continue to make tons of money. Yeah, it's a weird state now where you're kind of, you're just, as a fan, you're hoping that your owner is one of the wacky billionaires. One of the, you know, you're going to go on a balloon trip around the world and, and spend like $8 million on an elephant and just, that's the kind of, like, that's what you want. And unfortunately, not, not that many billionaires are like that, it seems. Billionaires are most interested in remaining billionaires. Yeah, that seems about right. Um, all right, though. I do, I do, I do have oh. a non-baseball question that I was kind of curious about because there, I, I play RPGs. I don't play as many as I used to because time, sure. of course, is with, with the way that it is. But in terms of, if we're going a little old school here. Uh, first question: Did you like the remake of the Final Fantasy VII? And second, if you're going to go back to the NES 
super SNES days? Are we talking Breath of Fire? Are we talking Dragon's Quest? Are we even talking, for me, one of my favorite RPGs of all time that simply enough is Star Wars Nice Little Republic because it was very different for what for a Star Wars game. But um, And I'm also a big fan of Dragon Warrior, although it, or, yeah, Dragon Warrior is kind of one of those games where, or, I'm sorry, Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest, one of those games yeah. where it's like very... Very early on in the NES cycle, but I still, I mean, do you pick it up now? Eh, maybe, no, but I mean, would. I know there's you Dragon would. Quest X too. So we, we, we romanticize old RPGs, and a lot of them don't. <laughs> um, I do. I, I've always been a Dragon Quest guy, and I, you know, I even like the last one. Um, you know, I, I certainly, you know, I'm old enough to go back to NES, Super NES days, but like, you know, my real love of JRPGs probably came with the first PlayStation because um, you had all those, those, those. I play like obtuse Japanese ones, and then. You know, like think about like a game like Xeno Gears. Um, nice, that's a classic. Which is, right there. Which is probably you know, one of my favorites of all time. And so those kind of things. I did not play the remake of Final Fantasy VII. Um, maybe that makes me a bad person, but it, it, <laughs> it, it looked it looked like an action game all of a sudden, and that kind of bothered me. Um, and so I actually, you know, it's it's funny because obviously when I was working, I didn't have a lot of time for JRPGs. Um, I did usually travel with a Switch or a PlayStation. Um, and, and that's, you know, how I killed time in hotel rooms. Um, but like with, you know, I, I, I got, I got whacked at the end of October, um, had some time and a pandemic, so I couldn't really do anything. And so I actually got into the, the, uh, Trails of Cold Steel series on PlayStation, um, which are exceptionally Uh Japanese anime bullshit games. Um, but they're really good. They're, they're really good. Now, right now I'm playing, um, the weird new Yakuza game, which is, oh, nice. I'm a huge, huge fan of the Yakuza series, and to have them suddenly go from like a weird twitchy beat 'em up to a turn-based role-playing game is very strange. But it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd say my my day job is actually writing about video games. But I do uh, you really? Yeah, no, it's it's a uh, it's not nearly as it's not quite as cool. Hey, it's still pretty I, cool. I, I didn't I know this. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of a B two B thing. So like, I have to write about the games before they come out, uh-huh. and then and then my company sells those descriptions to online retailers. Oh wow! Um, but I had we do, no idea. We, we end up getting the games afterward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been in the office in a year, so I haven't grabbed any games. But I've got this backlog of all these games that I wanted to play. I still have. I've got Persona Five here that I haven't played. And, and yeah, I really, got. A, yeah. I love the Persona series. And I think I've talked to you about Valkyria Chronicles uh, years ago, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Not, yeah, which uh, I love those games. But yeah, my, I, I've got a son now who's seven, and we got a Switch for him for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he just he just beat the Breath of the Wild on his own. Wow, that's oh, like, hey, it's, it's a pretty impressive for a seven-year-old, and it's. Uh, I mean, we obviously have a switch. It's just like with the it's beginning with the pandemic, and it was timed perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just become an Animal Crossing machine for my wife. Yeah, I'll just yeah. on my wife. My wife, as soon as she gets home from work, Animal Crossing till yes. 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. She's yes, like, "Well, yep. you're in your office all the time." And I'm like, "Look, yeah, she I, plays. She you, plays every day. I, I mean, I, I play sometimes. She plays every day. We keep track of all the Islanders. We, we, I, we, we've assigned personality traits to all of them. We have a lovely <laughs> island. So, anyone on Twitter wants to hit me up, I'll send you our dream address. And but yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> Animal Crossing. I think has been the saving grace of the pandemic in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would agree. I, I still have never played one. I actually went. Oh God, this must be 10, 12 years ago. Nintendo had like a caravan. They were going around the country in, in a like an airstream RV. Yeah. You know, one of those, yeah. and, and they were showing off at the time. They were showing off Wii Music and their Animal Crossing. That's the closest I ever got to playing one. I'm like, I, I don't quite understand this, but people seem to love it. There, there are a lot of things with games I don't quite understand. Don't play. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, very cool. I, I don't. Uh, I mean, we could probably talk about 
<laughs> and video games and, and punk music. Uh, you know, Rogelio good. I, I, I don't know anything. Yeah, but. we were talking right before. Yeah, we were talking about before the pod about uh, this is a better music. part of the conversation. You should keep that. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we could definitely go. We definitely could go into that because it's one of those things where I could, like I said, just talking music. It's something that I normally get to do very often. Like, uh, I just watched the. There's a. It's called. I forgot the name of the YouTube channel. It's like Music Theory, or it's, it's a gentleman from Britain uh, hosts this channel and he posts stuff out there all the time. And like he did one on, like uh, he did one on the replacements. He did one on shoe glaze, which is a a, a, yeah. a genre gaze, that yeah. might. Yeah. Shoe gaze, sorry, shoe gaze. Yeah. I was I always get that confused because like I, I always think my buddy Brandon Day is a big fa- fan of genre, and then the only band I can think of that comes to mind on the top of my head is my bloody Valentine, right? That would be about it, or yeah, Star- absolutely. Like shoe, like shoe gaze and dream pop and all that stuff. Like like I don't know, like like Jesus and Mary Chain certainly I think is a falls into one of the I guess more well known bands um my bloody valentine would be i i would call a shoegaze band what would i, I always feel like roxy music would be like the grandfather of that kind of ah, I mean, I just yeah, a lot yeah. i said roxy, roxy music was uh, overrated thank you was, I mean, no sorry. i like them <laughs> Don't stop. I, they were kind of like the super they were like prog rock but not stupid <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's how just i would put how i would how i would talk about roxy it was prog rock but not stupid because I like, I like, I, I mean, I like more than more than this, and I do. I mean, even uh, yeah, that's super late. It's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that to me, I don't. Know, I just, I can. Like I, it's just me one of like those... the last Clash album or something. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, that's that's when they're in the prime, man. I, I yeah. Talk about screw uh, Shast. Was it um, Shastanese? Shast. I can't was name that last name. Uh, the Clash. Uh, Shast. Was it the what's the name of that album that came on eighty? Um. Sandinista? Sandinista, yeah. I always can, yeah, Sandinista. Yeah. Masterpiece. masterpiece. <laughs> that, is, that's a, that is a great masterpiece, but it was so funny because somebody was talking about punk and they, they talked about combat rock. And I said, oh, yeah, what about Sandinista and the, the Magnificent Seven or even something like, even uh, Ivan Meets G.I. Joe. And he's like, oh, I never heard of that album. I'm like, what? Yeah, Come it's on. a great record. It's a great Come record. On. Yeah, it's a, it's a great record. How are you not? Anyway. Go on, on about that, but uh, I feel I feel so inept here. I know nothing about punk music. I uh, my wife was friends with the guys from the Suicide Machines, which was a punk band here in the, yeah, the mid nineties, sure. and yeah. and I once ran into a punk band that I don't remember their name. I was in England at uh, a hotel. It's the kind of famous hotel where like Oasis destroyed a bunch of stuff, and and uh, these dudes were there talking about how they once kidnapped a Ronald McDonald in Arizona and held it for ransom. And I was like, well, that seems like a pretty punk thing to do. I approve of that. Yeah. That's about it. That's all I got. Well, really you know what? Here's the last question that and end the podcast for you. What is what are your top three albums that you can go and listen to on repeat? Or uh, uh, five, because three is that's not fair. I know this is okay. This is a question. It's a cliche question, and it sounds like something I took from the movie. Uh, the problem is, is like we could do this interview tomorrow, and I'd probably name a different five. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of. of I feel like John was a giant. Was that was a John Cusack movie? Uh, high fidelity. I feel like I'm asking a high fidelity question here. Yeah, it's it's a dangerous thing to do. Um, it, it, and like I said, it's like you could you could change your mind a million times. Let me think here. Uh, I would take Thirty Six Chambers by the Wu Tang Clan. Hey, all right. Uh, I would take Throb Throb by Naked Ray Gun. Right. I would take. Uh, 1000 Hertz by Shellac. 
I would take. I need two more, huh? This is now that it gets nasty. <laughs> um, I would take it. Takes a nation of millions by public public enemy. Outstanding. Nice. Um, and I would take. I could go in a million directions here. And I would take the Velvet Underground and Nico. Outstanding. We will do. We'll record tomorrow, and I'll pick five different ones. <laughs> you know, throw in a clash album or something. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, we had done. I, I just for whatever reason, I just kind of pitched my whole hold myself into hip hop at a young age, and mm-hmm. never really expanded much. And so it's nice. Yeah, I could talk to you about those albums, but yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't, we don't want to keep you too long. I, I really appreciate all the time you gave us, and, and all the great insight and. I don't, I'm really looking forward to what you're going to do with fan graphs and, and the podcast that is coming. Is it going to be with fan graphs or is it going to be kind of a side it'll, project? Yeah, it'll, no, it'll be housed at fan graphs. Um, they want to house it. Um, I do have full creative control. So we'll, we'll awesome. have lots of music and movie and weird talk and things like that. And, but, I, you know, baseball will always be uh, around there somewhere, but it won't be completely limited to baseball and we'll have a good time and we'll say bad words and stuff like that. Yeah, like I said, I mean the the, the formula at up and end was just just uh, I think perfect and it worked. You, know, you don't yeah. you don't don't have Jason Parks. Uh, Long and Higgins got a little bit of Parks in him. Not, not quite. He doesn't have the Texas. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, draw. He's not going to talk about swag. Talk, he doesn't have about, the Texas uh, swag. Yeah, he's not going to be talking about rig and uh, <laughs> and Martin Cove. But I don't know I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And like I said, I. I I'm really glad you're back in the public sphere. I, I, I appreciate you spending all this time with us. And, and uh, let's see, people can, you know, go listen to the podcast you did with Stephen Goldman. What's the Infinite Inning? That mm-hmm. was just the, the other day. Uh, check out your work at Fangraphs. Do you have anything specific coming up? Uh, you know, it's Prospect Week coming up at Fangraphs next week. So there will be oh. the, the, the top 100 and various other conversations. You know, obviously, I came late to the party and letting Eric run the show there. But, you know, going to help out with some things here and there. Um, if you want to watch me be an asshole on Twitter, it's Kevin underscore Goldstein and <laughs> go from there. Yeah. All right. I was briefly watching you guys on Twitch today, which again is something that I'm not quite understanding. Yeah. It was my first time I've ever done Twitch. I, 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 I had to call my attorney and make sure it was okay to be a 51 year old person on Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> and he cleared it. Very good. Uh, Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, yeah, best of luck to you. In the future. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kevin.